Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of I Pledge Allegiance. This week, we have on Sonny and Sergey to talk about bridging and osmosis. I've been really looking forward to this podcast for a while now. Osmosis is an AMM built on Cosmos and is one of the most prominent projects in the space. And for the past few months, has, as a community, really been focusing on bridge selection and in terms of bringing assets from other chains over to the AMM, how to do that in a fair and an effective manner. And then the last week, that topic has, has really come to a head and they've run a governance process to decide on a single canonical bridge for osmosis and basically have had a bake-off between a few different bridges. And today, yeah, Sonny Agarwal is the founder of osmosis and has shared lots of thoughts about bridges and, and bridge selection in the past. And Sergey is the co-founder of Axlar, which as of today is actually the, the winning canonical bridge provider. The proposal just passed yesterday. So yeah, really looking forward to his thoughts here as well and sort of what the collaboration with Osmosis will be now that the proposal is passed. And this is a proposal, yeah, this process is one that I've been following from, from afar and sort of kind of understand what's going on. But yeah, I think we're, we're going to hear it directly from the two teams actually working on it and doing the integration. So, so yeah, Sunny, Sergey, really great to have you guys. Thanks, Thanks for coming for on. Us. I'm excited. Good to be here as well. So I guess to kick things off, Sunny, do you want to just give listeners a quick intro on like how Osmosis and Cosmos governance just generally differs from your sort of standard Ethereum-based governance systems? Yeah, sure. Maybe it's also worth just getting a little bit on like what Osmosis and Cosmos is in the first place. So Cosmos is this ecosystem of blockchains, but it doesn't have a governance of its own. What happens in Cosmos is every application has its own blockchain. So Osmosis is a decentralized exchange that is built on its own blockchain and it's a proof of stake based system and it has a governance mechanism based off of stakeholder voting. So, you know, it works pretty simply, to be honest, it's token weighted voting. You have to stake your tokens in order to be able to use them to vote. So liquid tokens don't vote, but they have to be staked. And we have this like sort of kind of liquid democracy kind of system, partially where what happens is in most Cosmos chains, we have like a delegated proof of stake where when you stake, you we have a concept of delegation built into the protocol. And so normally you will delegate to a validator and that validator will like sort of be staking on your behalf. What we do is by default, you also delegate your voting power to the validator as well, but you can override the validator's vote. So basically, let's say you, Derek, you've delegated to Sika, which is a validator that I run. Not, not We don't run it on Osmosis, but we run it on a couple other Cosmos chains. And so if you delegate to us and then Sika votes yes on a certain proposal, but you disagree with that, you can go and vote no, and it will override Sika's vote using your voting power. So it's it's not full liquid democracy because in you know in full liquid democracy there'll be like multiple layers of delegation that like you know you can delegate 
again and whatever. But like it has just like baseline of like, you know, by default, you delegate your vote, but otherwise you can always override. And I guess like the other big thing that happens is like, you know, all of this happens on chain. So I know like many Ethereum based governance systems, you know, they'll just due to like gas costs of like voting on chain, they'll usually conduct most votes off chain on like something like a snapshot. Yeah. But because we have our own chain and it's pretty feasible to actually run all the voting system fully on chain. And so, yeah, so we don't have any sort of like multi-sig or admin keys that like execute the results of off-chain votes. Rather, it's like everything's executed on-chain by the by the governance system. And so there's a couple of different types of proposals. There's like, I would say there's three main types of proposals, what we call text proposals, parameter change proposals, and software upgrade proposals. So text proposals are exactly that. It's just text. It's a signaling system. So that's what the bridge votes actually were. They were really just text proposals. But then there's parameter change proposals, which, you know, the governance can upgrade, update certain parameters of the chain on the fly. So for, you know, one example is on osmosis, we have like incentives, like liquidity incentives that go to different pools and governance can just like, you know, use on-chain voting to like redirect which pools, how much incentives go to each pool. So that's like something that happens live on chain. And the last one is software upgrade proposals where, you know, the chain uses governance to decide like, okay, this is the new version of the code that we're going to use based off of like some git commit hash. And then there's software that helps like all the nodes automatically upgrade to the new version of the software as well. So it's like, you know, very seamless like upgrades most of the time. I think that's a really great summary for anyone that hasn't looked into into cosmos based governance systems which i think is many people on ethereum and yeah i think there are some similarities right like in ethereum based governance the concept of delegation obviously exists and it is an option but but yeah in in cosmos like it's deeply intertwined and validators sort of really have a have a pretty important role and we've seen them not just be like active voters, but they're, and obviously playing a key role in the protocol consensus, but they're also just becoming really active protocol participants that are building for these protocols, helping them in other ways, and sort of playing a a hybrid role of an investor, an ecosystem participant, an operator. So I think, yeah, that's one, one thing that's, that's pretty different. Sergey, not sure if you had any thoughts on that. Yeah, I actually had a question that I was wondering if, if Sandy knew the answer. Do you know what fraction of users overwrite their validator of votes kind of historically in the Cosmos ecosystem? I don't know the exact like percentage actually right now. We should do some analysis on that, but I think it depends from chain to chain. So especially if you look, Osmosis generally tends to have one of the higher like voter turnouts, basically. So if you look at, for example, like, you know, even on the Axelar vote, right, there was 55,358 votes casted, which is, you know, that means that a lot of delegate, like, you know, accounts are, a lot of users are actively like over, you know, voting. I don't know off the top of my head what, what right now, though, what percent that makes up. But yeah, so we only have, so Osmosis currently has 135 validators. And so all of the excess votes are coming from non-validators. Yeah, it was it was really interesting to see just the turnout and the engagement and the participation during this vote. So definitely 
was great to see all of that live in action. <laughs> yeah. The bridge vote was one of the most popular votes, I think, that has happened. It's definitely one of the most anticipated. I think, you know, other votes sometimes, you know, we usually get somewhere in the range of like 20 to 40,000 votes per proposal on average. It is pretty, pretty impressive to look at the turnout numbers. I think if you look at the percentages for osmosis, it's like generally between 50 to like 80% of all eligible Osmo like are, end up participating. Whereas you look at some of the numbers on Ethereum, whether it's a snapshot or, or the native governance system, and it's honestly usually single digits. It's not an apples to apples comparison, obviously, but yeah, still a pretty pretty drastic difference. I think there's a lot of room for improvement still to be made in like Cosmos governance module. Like I'm actually the one who like sort of wrote a lot, lot of the governance module like four years ago when the Cosmos SDK was first being written. And I feel like governance module hasn't really meaningfully been upgraded since then, other than certain minor things. Or like there's been upgrade to the governance module, but not not in the voting procedures itself. And I think that, you know, there's definitely room for improvement there. So, you know, one of the things that I would want to do personally is like, I think validators shouldn't be inheriting 100% of their delegators vote. I think when you delegate a vote, it should like delegate like 25% of the voting power or something like that. And then if you go and override the validators vote, or if you just vote in the same way as the validator did, but then it still uses the full 100% of the voting power. So the point of the delegation was to allow for people who want to still participate in governance, but be more passive so they can delegate their voting power to these validators. But I think that there should be some distinction, but like that saying that like, oh, active votes should be counted more heavily than passive delegated votes. So I think that's like one big change that I would want to see in the Cosmos SDK governance system. Totally. I think, yeah, innovation in governance is just much slower in general. I think for a lot of reasons, it's not seen as like the most sort of highly prioritized thing compared to other product updates. Upgrading your governance system is a pretty big lift technically. And if it goes poorly, like there's just a lot of potential risks. But yeah, I think there's definitely room for improvement generally. And it's part of what I try to focus on at Reverie as well. So to jump into the bridge discussion, I think there's a lot to talk about, but to give some context, Sergey, do you want to talk a little bit about just like why bridges are important just in general and, and, and for osmosis specifically? Yeah, I mean, on the high level, you know, we live in a multi-chain world with lots of different ecosystems, you know, from Cosmos to Avalanche, Ethereum, you know, Bitcoin, Dogecoin. And what we need to figure out is a way for applications to interact across all of these ecosystems, right? Kind of today, it doesn't happen that often. You know, you have some type of ad hoc bridging technologies here and there, and then largely, you know, you have IBC that works quite well within the Cosmos ecosystem. But to connect, uh, you know, blockchains that speak very different consensus mechanisms, we need sort of technology that can scale, right? And, you know, that's why some of the work that we're doing in Axelor and you know, interoperability around these different blockchains is important. For Osmosis in particular, you know, it is an application that needs to have as much usage as possible, right? And I think the usage comes in here from people being able to provide, you know, LP positions to just users swapping one asset for another, 
as they want to go, you know, and explore different blockchains and different ecosystems. So the more liquidity there is, the more users can reach the application, the more assets can flow in and out of it, the better the distribution is, right? The more utility you get out of out of this DEX. So yeah, I think that's why connecting Osmosis with the world outside of, you know, Cosmos is quite important and that's why we're excited about it. Yeah. Osmosis's goal is to be the interchain DEX, not just the Cosmos DEX. And as of now, Osmosis is sort of the central trading venue for the Cosmos ecosystem. But, you know, our goal is to connect all chains, right? And so currently, you know, we use IBC as our primary sort of communication method on Osmosis. Uh, We talk to other chains via IBC. But an IBC is this, you know, in a way, what it is, is it is a type of bridging protocol, but it's what I would say is a very highly secure bridging protocol where it doesn't have sort of any intermediaries on the bridge. Instead, it uses, you know, there's no multi-sig or validators or what it is, is each chain that are two chains that are talking to each other, they are going to run on-chain light clients of each other. And they verify each other. And so basically the security of the bridge is equivalent to the light client security of the chains themselves. And so this has some like very valuable security properties, which, but now this comes at this trade-off of building on-chain light clients is very difficult and it's more expensive than often we would like. So like building a light client for every new consensus protocol takes time. And so we're working on it. So for example, there's work on implementations of IBC in Substrate and there's what, you know, there's a team working on IBC for Solana. And I and like, so there's all these like work being done on IBC for other frameworks, but that takes time. So we need time until those are ready. And so the meanwhile, we want to use these bespoke bridges. Another part is like, you know, we could write a Tendermint like client in Ethereum, but it'll just be way too expensive to verify. So that's why we need to sort of use these until IBC takes over everything. We need a solution that still allows us to connect to the rest of the non-IBC compatible enabled chains. And so for that, we, you know, we need to make sure we have the most secure, you know, we want to pick the best secure alternative to IBC. And so that's sort of where a lot of this bridge discussion came about from. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, look, from the outside, it feels like just taking a step back. Yeah. Like every AMM is is competing to to be the most liquid venue for, for all assets on, on all blockchains on chain and, and ones that don't exist on chain right now. And some kinds of bridging is yeah, bridges are just an essential component to accelerating that process. And the faster you and more effective you can do it, the quicker to market you can be. Yeah, and, so. and I think kind of a one point to add here, right? I kind of think that over the next few years, every application and every AMM and DEX will go cross-chain in one shape or form. And, you know, you, you're going to have to interact with different ecosystems, different assets. And I think here, that's why I'm actually pretty excited about, you know, Osmosis kind of becoming one of the global interchain DEXs and the routing layers is because it's built on Cosmos SDK and in some sense it can control its own destiny, right? So it can optimize on security, kind of optimize on transaction fees, optimize on governance. It has its own chain, it has its own validator, so it can continue scaling as the 
you know, as the usage of the platform gets increasing. So that's why I think it, it would have, you know, very strong effects by connecting it to the ecosystems and have, you know, a pretty big advantage. It's like very obvious that bridges are essential and, and it's really needed for osmosis. Sunny, as I'm sure it's something that you and the core team have been thinking about a lot. How have the conversations with, with potential bridge providers been going and, and how do you think the, the community arrived at the decision to, to make it a governance proposal? Uh, bake-off between five different providers? Like, what was that process in the past few months? Yeah, like? sure. So I, I guess maybe we can t- start with, like, why we needed a single bridge provider in the first place. So there was a lot of ideas of, like, oh, should we just have, like, multiple bridge providers? And then the problem that we got into there was it's, like, this is going to be really bad for both liquidity, but also for UX. So one thing that's important to know is that like the assets that flow over different bridges are not fungible with each other. So ETH that comes over Axelar versus ETH that comes over Wormhole, for example, are not fungible with each other. They, on the osmosis side, they have to effectively be treated as two distinct tokens. Now, you know, there are potentially ways that in the future we can like, figure out how to fungify them and like make it so they can be treated as equivalent, but like, or at least fungible with each other. But I think that's like farther down the road. And the, the bigger thing is like, so until then, if these tokens are not fungible with each other, you'd have like two different pools for them. You end up fragmenting your liquidity, but even more important than the liquidity, in our opinion, it, it was the UX, right? So if you have like two different versions of ETH that come over two bridges, you have to have a way of like signaling that they're different. And so, you know, often, you know, the standard that's been used so far in crypto is like prefixes. So that it'll be like, oh, Axe ETH versus Wormhole, like, you know, WETH. Or no, that's, but see, the WETH is already a different thing. So it's like, okay, you have to come up with a new name for it. So it's like, I think on Terra, like they have this like wormhole wrapped ETH that has this like one of the weirdest names I've ever heard. It's like, it's like, it has like four prefixes attached to it or something like that. But yeah, so, you know, I think that UX is a problem where like, if you go on like Coinbase or something, right, like you don't have all these prefixes and like users have come to expect not needing these like four different, you know, multi- all these prefixes that are really hard to reason about. And so we need to provide that simple UX. And then, and the other part is the integrations, right? So Our view is that bridges are not consumer-facing products, rather they're service providers to applications. And so, you know, one of the things that we wanted was like, we don't want to send users to a a special bridge website in order to do the bridging, and then they come back to the osmosis front end, right? What we want is bridges should be like this API that we can integrate into our front end and have it so, you know, the entire bridging flow happens on the Osmosis site. So this is what we do with IBC. We've tried our best when we were building the Osmosis site to like have the UX mimic a centralized exchange as much as possible. So, you know, on our site, we barely even mention like IBC. We, We put it in terms of like deposits and withdrawals to Osmosis. And that's sort of what we want users to be able to see. And so... Because these like deep integrations take a lot of, you know, engineering effort, we figured it's better to pick like 
one implementation that one bridge that we can integrate very deeply with and have like these like really solid ux flows rather than trying to like mangle together like integrations into like four different four or five different bridge providers totally makes sense and yeah i think it's purely on the ux side not to pick on specific projects but i mean yeah you take a look at some of the other projects that are that have a bunch of bridge providers like Sabre and yeah, there's like so many different pools. It's very difficult candidly to, to understand which one to target and liquidity is fragmented. And yeah, there's just, it's a very different set of trade-offs in addition to the obviously other engineering challenges and bandwidth and just general focus, which I think is, there's a lot to be said. So, okay, awesome. So the, so the proposals obviously went live last week and the idea behind it was to basically have these five different competing bridge providers basically present their case and talk with the community and address any questions and concerns, and then just allow the community to directly vote on it. And yeah, it was a pretty, I thought from the outside, it was a pretty thoughtfully laid out process. It was clear to my knowledge, like it's the first time something like this has been done in on-chain governance, like a single bridge selection, but yeah, curious if either of you have any more just like general thoughts or or feedback on the the process itself. Yeah. So what we did was we had this like sort of submit these proposals basically that like you know write ups of like why they think that their bridge is like a good fit for being Osmosis's canonical bridge, and then you know those proposals were posted publicly. And then, you know, we wanted to make sure the information gets out there in other formats as well, other than just these long proposals. So we also did this like town hall, which like, I think ended up lasting like three hours. So basically what happened was we, we got four submissions for the bridge. Well, we got five, but one of them dropped out. The four submissions were Wormhole, Gravity, Nomad, and Axelar. And so doing this town hall, you know, that got a chance and it was like recorded and like, you know, I was sort of on there, got a chance to like basically do a interview with all of the bridge providers. You know, I tried to like poke at all of them as much as possible. And, you know, the audience also had a chance to do a lot of a Q&A and ask the different bridge providers their questions. Yeah. Then the actual mechanism for how the vote got conducted was a little bit complex. I'm I'm happy to hear that you thought it was actually very intuitive because we were worried it wasn't. Basically, in the Cosmos SDK governance module, currently there's only really binary votes. There's it's only designed for yes or no voting, and there's not really a system for multiple choice voting yet. And so, how do we decide between four options? And so, what we did was we did this like sort of approval voting system where we spun up basically four proposals at the same time, one for each of the providers. And we basically said, okay, vote yes on any of the bridges that you approve of. So you could actually vote yes on multiple of them, and that was okay. And then what we said was, whichever one has the highest amount of yes at the end would win. So voting no on a proposal didn't actually matter. It was purely off of the power of yes votes. And then we said that, okay, if the winning bridge is within first and second place are within 15% of each other, then it would go into a runoff vote where you have to choose one or the other. 
I think a couple of things just to add to that. So A, I thought the whole process was quite interesting, right? I think from the discussions and, you know, questions in the communities, trying to learn more, I think that was really interesting and kind of allowed people to showcase, right, whatever they're building and their technology behind it. I think there's definitely been, you know, some instances of kind of FUD around the whole process through, you know, either some community members. So I thought that was quite interesting to see as well. I think on the vote itself, I think the one thing that potentially was a little bit confusing with this kind of tiered system, right, is that, you know, if you wanted to vote for, you know, one or multiple providers and you didn't cast your vote on the other ones, and if your validator actually casted the vote differently, that could matter, right? And I think that was something that I think the community didn't pick up right away. It, it, it felt like, you know, kind of a 24 or 48 hours afterwards, kind of the community picked up that. But I think that was one one thing with this multi-tier voting that was, you know, a little bit not ideal. Yeah, that's definitely something that it didn't quite occur to us as well when we were doing it. Yeah, because we had been telling people, oh, the no votes don't matter. But then, yeah, because of the delegation, the validator delegating that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, you actually do want to go vote no explicitly on all the providers you don't want, because otherwise, if your validator votes in a way you disagree with, then your voting power would also be used to vote yes on those providers. So yeah, that, that was definitely one of the more complex things. And then the other thing was like, you know, it was really great that there was like community members that actually helped build tooling to make this all possible. So there's, you know, one validator that, you know, especially should shout out to, it's called Hather Nodes. They built this, like, you know, they threw together this UI very quickly that sort of like allowed everyone to track the amount of yes votes on each proposal. And without that, it, you know, I think it would have been very hard to actually track what the status of the votes were because you'd have to check like each proposal individually and it's very complicated. So huge shout out to the community for also just like stepping up with a lot of these tooling to make this process go smoothly. Yeah, I think that's definitely an, a limitation of current on-chain governance systems. It's just not easy to do rank choice voting, multiple choice or run auctions if you're trying to find a service provider. Definitely something that I think could be more intuitive and easier over time. I'm curious, Sergey, like as someone that has now gone through the governance for key partnerships and integrations, like like what kinds of, and I'm sure you have a bunch of other, obviously protocols that you guys work with where these decisions aren't made in public. Like what is the trade-off? Like, is there, like, I'm sure on the one hand, having to go through governance, like it probably takes longer you have to like make public appearances, but yeah, I'm sure like there's also hopefully some, some helpful feedback and, and questions that the community has. So yeah, just curious, like, how do you feel about the, like looking back, what kinds of, of feedback did you, did you get? Like, was there any helpful ones? Was there conspiracy theories? Like, what did that look like? Yeah, no, I, I think the whole process, A, allowed the community, right, of course, to ask questions and learn more about the projects. So, you know, I think as a part of actually creating the proposal initially, I think the team laid out some questions they wanted to know about and, you know, it made us think, how do you present it, right? How do you communicate, you know, the technology you're building and what's behind it. So that was, I think, incredibly useful set of material and content that was just created by all the providers, right? And and by the teams to communicate with the projects to 
I think it was interesting to see how the community wanted to know more and more. I mean, I think that being said, you know, kind of a interoperability itself is a incredibly complex topic, right? And I think the trade-offs, you know, between security, right, and liveness assumptions, safety assumptions, you know, integration effort required, and the end goal of the product, I think is something that, you know, very few people can fully appreciate and understand before the integration is live. And so I think the trade-off kind of goes about it, well, you know, if, if some teams are not doing the best job at explaining what it is, from one part, maybe they should not be selected anyways, but from another part, if that's left to the community, then the community would have to make up their own decision of on the security, liveness, safety, you know, considerations, integration effort required and things like that, which maybe is left best to, you know, kind of a selected or smaller committees or development teams. So I think those are effectively the trade-offs. Without going again too deep into the the trade-offs and like talking about the other bridge providers because they don't they're not on the podcast. Like, why do you think Axlar won? So I think that I had mentioned a couple of times that you know Axlar was my preferred provider just because after going through like the, all the proposals and the RFPs between the options, I think Axlar kind of offered the best of a bunch of things. So one we needed uh, multi-EVM support, right? So, you know, the point is we're building a DEX. And so, you know, we want to connect to as many chains as possible. And so, so Gravity Bridge, which is one, one of the providers at the moment, it only supports Ethereum or one EVM at a time. And so, you know, they could do some development work to like get it to support multiple EVMs at the same time, but it, it was a little bit down the road. Then the other piece was, you know, I liked, there's this whole like debate around the, optimistic bridge model versus the validator-based bridge model. And I'm actually a big fan. I prefer the validator-based bridge model. I'm not a big fan of the optimistic model that's like used by like Nomad, for example. I think that it actually, it's a little bit scary where it turns liveness failures of chains into safety failures of the bridge. And yeah, so I think that was like, we wanted that. And so given those two things, I think to me, my two biggest front runners were were Axlar and Wormhole. So it, it was interesting. I think Wormhole actually came in like, unfortunately, like dead last in the vote, even though I think they were actually probably my like my top two choices. And I think part of that was just, you know, just given the recent hack and everything, I think it was just bad timing, I guess. Probably just left a little bit of a scar in the community. I don't know. You know, the the, the hack was fully refunded by Jump, but I'm sure that definitely was an impact on it. And then I guess, yeah, just working with the Axlar team, we had been in touch for a while. And, you know, I think that the Axlar team is just a very, for example, like, you know, I think that they're just one of the most responsive where like, you know, we'll ask that like a small feature where it was like, oh, we're like, hey, on the satellite front end, could we have it? So, you know, if we pass in certain parameters via the URL, could we have like, it's like the thing's already preloaded. And like they had, the Axlar team had like turned it around within like, I think by the end of the day and had it working or another one was like, oh, if we need to do like wrapping, unwrapping of ETH into WETH, they're like, oh yeah, we can have that done within like a week. And so it's like, I think it was like things like that, just like the, you know, I think they're just a really solid team that like executes really fast. And then the other part was they're also just very more Cosmos native. For example, like Wormhole, 
you know, it, it kind of like came up out from the Solana ecosystem. And now it's like, you know, much bigger than that, I think. And, you know, I'm, I'm still actually pretty close with the wormhole folks as well. And actually their like biggest route right now is actually Terra to Ethereum, not even Solana. But yeah, so I think, you know, I just like that, like with Axelar, because it's it's a Cosmos SDK chain, we can actually communicate it to it via IBC, which I think is a big thing where it really feels instead of like using like a, with Wormhole, we have like a Cosmosm contract that they would have to deploy. But it, with Axelar, we like interact with it via IBC. We can use all the same IBC protocol and tooling that we currently use. We can use things like interchain accounts, all this kind of stuff. So I think that was sort of the big thing there. And th those kind of cascade of things is what like put Axelar out ahead. Now that the vote's over and Axelar has, has won, like, what does the next steps look like? What does true partnership and integration look like between you guys? And what can we expect going forward? So I guess like the next big thing would be getting some of the Axelar bridged assets onto the primary Osmosis front end. So currently there's, we have a bunch of bridge providers integrated already into, we have the second site called Frontier, which is sort of our more bleeding edge version where we like, you know, we merge assets. It's the permissionless front end, basically. Basically, what's happening is we're working on building like something more like Uniswap token lists into the primary Osmosis front end so people can like add and remove assets. The, the canonical bridge is what's going to be the default in the default token list, or we call them asset lists on the Osmosis front end. And so, you know, adding Axelar to that front end. When we add it for now, it's going to just link externally to Satellite, which is the UI that the Axelar team had built for bridging. But then now we're going to start sort of on the development of our, you know, more bespoke integration where like you'll be able to deposit and withdraw directly like ETH, for example, just on the Osmosis website. So that we'll be working, starting to work on that integrations. Now, the other thing would be the osmosis governance will probably want to start incentivizing some of these pools. So for example, there's a stable swap pool with like a couple of stable coins in it. There's also a, for example, an ETH osmo pool is probably something that governance should want to incentivize pretty soon. And then, so these are all like sort of things that, you know, will probably start to happen in the next like one or two weeks. Long term, what we want to do is we actually are going to be working on this sort of like joint project together where it doesn't really have a name quite yet but essentially you know we want to be able to allow users to do swaps from like EVM chains to other EVM chains without having to even touch you know they shouldn't have to have Kepler or there's two types of like exchange UIs you know that we could build for there's like the traders which are like and that's kind of what the osmosis front end is designed for. The app.osmosis.zone is meant to mimic like a centralized exchange. But then there's what I call the swappers, right? They just want to go from one thing to another. It's like the shape, you know, the original shapeshift vision where it's like, okay, hi, you know, no one wants to see the order book or anything like that. They just want to have tokens on one chain and they want to have to they want to switch it to tokens on a different a different token on a different chain. And so Basically, what we want to make it is so that users can say, okay, I have ETH on Ethereum and I want to swap it to AVAX on Avalanche. How do we do that in one, you know, one click? And so what will happen is it will get, you know, they can trigger this action on like using this new product. It'll get 
they send ETH to a certain address. It gets picked up by the Axelar bridge. The Axelar chain then uses interchain accounts, which is this like new IBC feature that just launched recently to do a swap of the ETH for AVAX. And then Axelar will then send the AVAX to the destination account on the Avalanche chain. And so basically this product to allow users to swap between things, you know, we can then get this exposed as an API that can then be integrated into other products. And so, yeah, that's kind of like once you have the bridge and deck sort of like integrated very deeply together, then you can provide a lot of these like really cool UXs. Yeah. And just to add to that, right, I think the second, you know, phase that Sunny has mentioned is something I'm super excited about. I think kind of while we're talking about moving assets and things like that right now, I think as we talked about earlier, I think the interoperability and the transport across the ecosystems is not something that should be exposed to the users. We don't want users to go and interact with, you know, bridge front ends or anything like this. And so kind of this second layer of functionality is through interchain accounts and on Axler, we just enabled uh, general message passing as well, is what allows to compose contract calls and compose, you know, user intents with one another, route them across different ecosystems, execute them and deliver the results back to the user all through one click, right? And I think that's sort of the future that we we'll want to see. And, you know, that's a future I'm super excited to work towards. Awesome. Super interesting. And yeah, I think there's just going to be a lot more possibilities in the coming weeks and coming months now that the bridge is moving forward. I think, I mean, look, even from our perspective, like Reverie, just having the ability to use assets like USDC on Osmosis and then having the stable swap pools, it'll, it'll be really useful for us as well when we're sort of running the grants program and being involved. And yeah, just to makes our lives a lot easier in general. We touched on this earlier, but like, what would success look like for you guys? Sort of post-integration, everything's launched, the assets, the bridged assets are are on the AMM, like let's say the pools are incentivized, like what does the ideal world look like for you like six, 12 months down the line? Or more broadly, in general, like outside of osmosis. I mean, I think on the high level, this is kind of a back to what Sanya was saying. I think what we're trying to do is not to build kind of a one-off bridge, right? I think what we're really trying to do is build a, a secure sort of transport layer, right, for Web3. And at the very core of it, it's sort of a combination, I think, of kind of IBC. And when that's not available, you know, things like our cross-chain gateway protocol. And so we're trying to build this building blocks and infrastructure to make connections as easy as possible, right? I think if you integrate another chain through the Axler stack, we want that chain to automatically be able to communicate with everything else that's in the ecosystem, right? And that really involves combination of not just connectivity protocols like you know IBC or crushing kind of gateway protocol that we're doing, but also things like routing, right? Also things like you know message translation if it needs to go from one ecosystem to the other things like path discovery as you go from one ecosystem to the other. And so we're kind of working on an array of various protocols and stacks to really scale connections across the ecosystems and make it as easy as possible so that you have an asset, you can make one click, you can interact with an application and get anything else you want on the other end. And I still think we're relatively early in that path, but I think we have all the right building blocks. And yeah, kind of a you know a year or two from now, that's the world that we we'll want to see with that everything is connected and users have a much better user experience interacting with different applications that they like. 
Got it. Totally makes sense. And I guess, yeah, like Sunny on, I think it's been a pretty interesting governance process broadly. Like, is this something that sort of could happen again down the line? Not, not just for obviously bridges, but like other token listings, like, like let's say on non-IBC chains where like superfluid staking isn't, isn't feasible, like as like ETH or, or Solana. And it's obviously those are still large assets like STETH or, or MSOL, like there's different derivative options. Like how are those sort of assets going to fit into osmosis? Like what could that decision process, it could, could be the same, honestly. Yeah. So, okay. I mean, one similar processes will probably have to happen again for like other bridges. So, you know, I think for example, when it comes to like some that are like less contentious, like, or for example, we need to connect to, Solana, right? And at the moment, I think Wormhole is probably the only provider that connects to Solana. And so we would have to have a proposal that basically says that like, oh, okay, is the community okay with like using Wormhole as the canonical bridge for Solana until, and then, you know, one thing that's worth noting though is that like, you know, we made it clear that like, hey, the community should be open to changing the bridge provider over time as needed, both for know, both for EVM, but all for, for any bridge where like, if there is a different product that comes along, that is 10 X better than the current offering, then, you know, Osmosis should migrate that. Obviously it will be a little bit of a messy process to figure out how to migrate that, but like, you know, so it has to like really be worth it to migrate, but you know, that's one thing that Osmosis should be open to do. But, you know, for example, I think when, when it comes to Bitcoin, that's like when we will need like another process like this. So I know like the Axlar team has been working a long time on like their Bitcoin bridge. It's actually how we, you know, first started working together was on the Bitcoin side. But then there's also like, you know, Nomic is another project in Cosmos ecosystem that is doing Bitcoin bridging. And so, you know, once these, either of these projects are ready, I think that's when we'll have to do another sort of bake off for the Bitcoin bridging. And then for like asset stuff, I think if there's any contention on what should be in the default asset list on Osmosis, then yeah, that we would probably have a similar thing. I do think that like things like staking derivatives are probably not going to be on the default asset list, but rather would have to be like in one of these like opt-in asset lists. So like as an example, like, you know, so for example, you go on like compact on Uniswap, right? It has this like default tokens there, but if you want to access the compound C tokens, for example, you have to like, you know, add the compound asset list. And so it'll probably be something similar to that. So let's say there's a project that's building a liquid staking protocol like Quicksilver, for example, there would probably be a Quicksilver asset list that users has to have to manually select. And that way it will display the Quicksilver assets on the Osmosis front end. So Really, I think like these like on-chain votes will have to come down to more when it's like the ass type of assets that we need in the default asset list. Eventually, I think the default asset list itself might just be fully moved on chain. So right now it's like kind of hosted on a GitHub repo. And so that's why this was like a, like I said, this was a tech signaling proposal where it was like, then, you know, the team that maintains the front end, they would go update the asset list on the GitHub repo to like reflect what the governance voted on. But eventually I think that entire thing will just move on chain. And so then governance can use parameter change upgrades to change what assets are shown in the default list. I'm actually curious, Sunny, right? You know, we talked about like exposing an API, right? For osmosis to different ecosystems. 
where do you think, you know, a year or two from now, most of the usage will come? Is it through the front end of people coming to Osmosis? Is it through the API? What's your vision? Yeah, I think that we're kind of designing for two different users right now, which is why I treat them as like two different products. Long term, we're trying to really focus on our retail front end, like on the app.osmosis.zone site, making it be more like a Coinbase style thing. Because I think what happens is, I think the rule of DEXs is, or any exchanges is you need to get the retail volume and then retail volume gets liquidity and then liquidity gets, you know, the arbitrage and institutional volume. And so anything we can do to get more retail volume. And so that's why like building more user-friendly UXs, right? We're, we're, we're aiming to be more like the Coinbase than the FTX. And then, yeah, so part of that in the retail order flow also though does come from having an API that's integrated into other places. So one of the things that we'd want to do is like build a widget that like for doing these swaps from chain to chain, and we can just get like have this widget that's embeddable that other dApps can use. So that way, like, you know, let's say you're moving from Aave on Ethereum to Aave on Avalanche, you should be able to, but you, you need something to pay those fees, right? We want to just be able to provide a widget for them to do that. But yeah, so I, I think that long-term it'll primarily come from the retail UI, but the widgets and integrations are a way of making sure there's like stickiness there. So what do you think is going to happen to Coinbase in the long term as, you know, Osmosis goes cross-chain? I think that Osmosis is going to be one of the first DEXs to like compete with centralized exchanges on the same market. Like today, I think DEXs are on a very different market than centralized exchanges, right? Their DEXs are focused on like intra-ecosystem trading. But like if you look at trading volumes, most trading happens on like cross L1 assets, basically. And so that's kind of the, no DEX currently is sort of really focused on that. And that's kind of where we, we want to go take it. And yeah, so, you know, the goal of Osmosis was to replace these centralized exchanges. And so what we're doing is like building out a series of, you know, centralized exchanges today are this like suite of products that are packaged into one unified experience. And I think Osmosis as a platform needs to start doing that as well. So, you know, centralized exchanges, they offer their spot trading, but they also offer, you know, margin, they offer perps, but they also offer, you know, fiat on-ramping, they offer custody, they offer information services, they offer like structured products. And so like, I think Osmosis as a platform is going to have to start doing that as well. So, you know, we're working with this project called Cato that will provide direct fiat on-ramping into osmosis into ust on osmosis and then it can be swapped into you know anything and so we'll have like direct fiat on ramps into any asset on osmosis we're working with confio which is the team that built cosmwasm to build a lending protocol to enable like more leverage sort of features so what will happen coinbase is i i mean i hope that we will be able to like compete meaningfully with coinbase and like be people's first entry point into crypto one day yeah Actually, I have another question. So, and I guess, you know, on the path there, you know, at some point, right, a lot of the projects become big enough that they are very slow at making decisions, right? And so I guess I'm curious, kind of what's your, you know, and Coinbase, I think, is an example that, you know, after they reach a certain height, you know, that now they, you know, take like a while to onboard new chains, right, list new assets and things like that. So curious, do you think 
decentralized governance, right, and on-chain governance in Osmosis or Cosmos in general is going to help projects continue innovating at a rapid pace as you grow? Or, you know, do you think it's going to be a bottleneck? And yeah, how do you think about it? Yeah, I think having governance, like, can often be, like, guided by, like, more, yeah, expertise. Like, so I actually kind of really like, for example, if you guys saw, like, the Optimism's new governance system where they have, like, a two-house system. I think that's, like, a really good way of, like, doing things where you have, like, a system where a, you know, more, like, protocol... it'll 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 be nice to get, like, a way on osmosis to have, like a governance process that's like a house, for example, that's like consists of the, you know, builders and integrators of osmosis, right? So like having people like, you know, Cosmos Station, they built the biggest explorer and and one of the biggest wallets for it. Having like Axlar, which is one of the biggest integrators, having, there's a number of core development teams on osmosis. And so like getting all the core development teams like represented on there. And so having a way for like faster, decisions to come from there and then be approved by on-chain governance. So both of these will be on-chain, but be approved by token holder governance is I think like the right way to like strike the balance between like speed and decentralized commitment to ideas. This is also part of why we're adding Cosmosm to Osmosis as well, which is it'll enable more teams to sort of like iterate on protocol ideas somewhat more independently because currently all protocol changes and like new features have to go into the Cosmos SDK. And like, it kind of like puts a lot of overhead on the core development team to like, you know, approve everything, review everything. And it kind of acts as a bottleneck at times. So having like a smart contracting system on chain, but one that still governance has to approve the deployment of contracts too, because we don't want osmosis to become a generalized smart contracting system, but we want to enable more teams to start, you know, putting up complementary protocols to osmosis. And so I think we'll we'll see how this like experiment plays out. And I think yeah, just to add on to what you're what you said about the future of of governance of osmosis and and the ability to to move quickly like I feel like that's one of the yeah, underappreciated parts of of app chains is that they can really the governance is so modular and they can really change and and iterate it sort of in a much more flexible manner compared to just sort of other other apps built on on your standard L1. I guess like Sunny, what are some of the other second order effects of the self-sovereign? People love talking about like, oh, it's like self-sovereign chains and and other people can build on top of it. But but like what does that actually enable from the from the governance side? Like why is that actually a good thing? Yeah, it allows us to iterate at the protocol layer and like add new features that like another DEX on an existing chain couldn't do. So an example that we have right now on Osmosis is you can actually pay your transaction fees in any token you want. So on something like Ethereum, the fact that you need ETH to pay your transaction fees is kind of silly. And then, okay, so where do you have to go get ETH in the first place from is probably from some sort of centralized exchange. And that kind of like, well, we just defeated the whole point, right? And so, you know, for us, Osmo is not even listed on any centralized exchanges. And so the only way to get it is on Osmosis. But like, if you need Osmo to pay the fees, it's like, okay, we're in like this catch 22, right? So what we were able to do was because Osmosis is both the DEX and the chain itself, 
we made it so the chain can use the DEX to allow any token to be paid for a transaction fee. So you pay, you can pay your transaction fees in UST or Atoms or ETH soon. And when you make that transaction, it will use the DEX to basically convert that into Osmo and allow you to pay your transaction fees. And so that's sort of like a kind of a UX flow that only an app chain like Osmosis would be able to do, where you need the chain to know about the DEX built on top. Another big thing is, you know, one of the, one of the things that actually started Osmosis is we really focus on this like anti-front running. And to do that, we have this like solution called threshold encryption, which is a way of encrypting all the transactions at the mempool. But basically what it does is it requires this like new cryptography to be added to the consensus protocol, but also to how transactions are formed. And what's nice is that like, because Osmosis, you know, we have both the app, the front end, the chain. And another thing maybe worth mentioning is our team also maintains the Kepler wallet, which is the primary wallet for the Cosmos ecosystem. And so when we have like, when it's time to add threshold encryption to the chain, we have to go change how the blockchain works, but we also have to go change how the wallet makes transactions. And so it's sort of this like full stack, deep integration that I think is what's going to enable us to do a lot of these features. And so just like, I guess, reverse that point a little bit, like there's probably a lot of listeners on this podcast, like that are engineers and considering hearing you talk about it and considering building an app, like how should they think about sort of deciding between building on an existing Cosmos chain versus building their own app chain to sort of get the benefits as, as you described, because obviously there's difficulties to bootstrapping validator sets and all the other things you'd expect, but like, are there any other key factors that would lead you to advise them to do one way or another? Like, let's say build on osmosis, for example. Yeah, so I think a big thing would be about like, what kind of throughput you're looking for. Like, when you have your own app chain, you're not competing with any other application for throughput. You're not gonna, you know, if you go build on Polygon, you're gonna have a Sunflower game come and clog up your entire throughput. And that wouldn't happen on your own app chain because you have like all this dedicated throughput just for your use case. And that's why like a lot of like decentralized web projects are like often built on like Cosmos where they are usually the first to be priced out of, you know, generalized blockchain. So if you look at something like maybe for, if you're a DeFi, you know, DGen, you can pay $5 for your transaction fee, but you're not going to pay $5 to connect to your VPN. Right. And that's why you have like a lot of these decentralized web projects use Cosmos SDK. I think gaming is going to be the other big one that like I think we're actually going to see a huge surge in gaming projects being built on top of Cosmos because they're also very quickly priced out of generalized blockchains. So yeah, and then you know, I think other things have, you know, I think the process of building Cosmos space chains has gotten much easier in the last couple years so you know especially with cosmwasm cosmwasm is a smart contracting language it's used on top of like terra as well as osmosis and secret network and so being able to write contracts and then deploy them as your own app chain i think is going to be the killer way of like how we're going to see a big surge of app chains soon yeah and just just to add to that right i mean i think there is definitely like a benefit for a new application developer 
to go and build, you know, for instance, like on, a, on an existing like EVM environment, right, or kind of Cosmosm environment. And primarily in the early days when you're still trying to figure out like a product market fit, I would say, right? So, you know, if you experiment and if you're figuring out, is there going to be a user base for this product? Like, is there going to be a demand for this product? You know, go build an, an ecosystem where it's, or on a chain where, you know, you can deploy things with one click, you know, you can have interoperability, right? Like through Acceler with other ecosystems, you can find, is there a user user for this product effectively, right? I mean, afterwards, if you actually found the product market fit and if you have real usage and real app transaction volume that you need to handle, right? Then I think migrating kind of to your own chain, kind of using that is potentially like one path to get the, the throughput requirements that you're looking for. So, yeah, I mean, I think both types of, developer environments will be needed and it kind of depends what stage your product is at and what you're looking for. Totally makes sense. And yeah, I think lots of different options and I think, yeah, depending on the use case that you have, you'll need different trade-offs, just like the selection of any L1, it, it applies here as well to using existing app chain versus building your own. So yeah, excited to, to see more, more of this over the coming, coming months. Awesome, guys. I think this has been a really, really great podcast. And I think we've yeah covered a lot of ground talking about just the importance of bridges. I think really interesting to hear both sides on the bridge proposals, both like the, the customer sort of osmosis side and then also the, the bridge provider. I think, yeah, it's always interesting to hear the differing perspectives. And yeah, I think as someone that has just been generally speaking, spending a bit more time, I would say on Ethereum-based protocols and in being active in governance there, I think it's been really fascinating to hear you guys talk through the dynamics of, of governance with Onosmosis and just like, I think there's so much depth to it and so much to appreciate and, and just like the stakeholders are very different. And yeah, I think just hopefully our listeners have found it interesting as well. So I really appreciate you guys coming on and, and chatting with Thanks me. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. Thanks, guys.